Welcome back, darkness lovers, night sky gazers, and all you people that are out there that are part of the movement. We got great news for you today. The National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, the members of that association, have created a new 501c3 corporation, the Lighting in Darkness Foundation. And the Lighting in Darkness Foundation is an institution that has been created from the grassroots of the lighting industry. And what we want to do is we want to create the capability and the ability in the field to restore darkness to our light polluted environments, to preserve night where it exists. So what I want you to do right now, I know it sounds crazy, I've never done anything like this before, but I want you to go to restoringdarkness.com. I want you to click the donate button. And I want you to get involved in this movement financially. That's right, make a contribution to the Lighting and Darkness Foundation. What are we going to do? We're going to do a lot of things. We're going to create education. Okay, we're going to fund research. We are going to support initiatives on the ground that are looking to stop light pollution before it starts, preserve night. And we're going to look at it helping people restore darkness to our light polluted environments. So go to restoringdarkness.com right now Check it out. Click the donate button right there at the top. And it would allow you to make a contribution to this movement that we all care about so much. So that's restoringdarkness.com. Now, ahead, we have a great show for you guys today. We have uh, Kimberly Arcand, Jill Johnson, and Stephen Loring from the Smithsonian. That's right, Smithsonian Institute. And we're talking about their latest exhibit, which is called So Beautifully... Lights out, recovering our night sky. And it makes the case for darkness restoration and night preservation, which is what we're trying to do right here on this show, and which is why I'm so excited to get down to Washington, D.C. and check out the display myself, and we're going to go there uh, for sure. But we have something for you right now. The first person to sign up as a monthly donor to the Letting in Darkness Foundation for 50 bucks a month will receive an all-expenses paid trip with the host of the Lighting and Darkness Foundation, uh, Restoring Darkness podcast, uh, host Michael Colligan, to come with us and check out the exhibit. So go ahead right now, go to that donate button right now, click donate, and become a monthly subscriber. I mean, we can't get, there's not, I can't think of anything personally better to give to than this cause. It touches everything, folks. If you're into wildlife, if you're into spirituality, if you're into carbon emissions and, and carbon um, mitigation, energy efficiency, beauty, the, whole, uh, the, the list just goes on and on and on and on. Folks, light pollution is pollution. It's not a metaphor. And so this foundation exists to stop the increase of light pollution and then to be, begin to reduce it. That's right. We're going we're gonna to solve the problem. We're not going to mitigate it. We're going to fix it. So go to RestoringDarkness.com right now. Click the donate button. And hey, buy us a cup of coffee um, a day, a week, a month, whatever it is that you can, you can give to us. We really appreciate it. And we're going to put it to great work. But so before I get to the great folks at the Smithsonian, which is going to be an, an incredible show, I want to tell you guys about the darkness news. That's right. Every week on this show... We're going to have the Darkness News Report with Scott Walker, And we're going to go through all the things that are going on in the world, all the different issues. We're going to discuss them. So without further ado, I give you 
Scott Wachter of the Darkness News Report. Scott Wachter, what's going on in the news with darkness these days? <laughs> well, uh, I've grabbed a few things from the last three weeks just to get us started uh, with something big. But we'll start with the big one, which is that uh, the International Dark Sky Association has changed their name and their logo. It's just Dark Sky, one word, intercaps right now. And I was going through the archives and I realized that Texas actually spilled the beans, like the Texas branch of the IDA spilled the beans about two, three months ahead of this announcement by already changing their letterhead to just Dark Sky Texas. And I think at the time I wrote it off as, you know, Texas being Texas about it. Sure. Well, you know what? We love the work they do down there at uh, Dark Skies International. Is that the new name, Dark Skies International or Dark Sky International? Uh, That Dark Sky International is their government name. That's how they file their taxes. But Mm -hmm. it's just Dark Sky. One word. (laughs) One word, Dark Sky. Okay, we love the work they do. Good luck with the name change. And uh, yeah, what else you got, Scotty? That's big news, though. I mean, Uh, that's big news. They have, uh, they're the leader in this movement. So we're looking at them for big stuff in the future. Well, speaking of, uh, they've also just certified the first dark sky site in Greece. This is on Mount Inos. It's on the island of Kefalonia in the Ionian Sea. This is the smallest national park in Greece. And uh, the island is the sixth smallest island in the archipelago. And it's now been declared a dark sky reserve. Dark sky, dark sky park reserve is like one rank up. <laughs> one rank up. Well, hey, they could go down the Greeks. Let's go. What else you got? <laughs> All right. So Axios has put together a little bit of data visualization for us, which is, uh, you know, this this will come up in the video edit. But if you're what, listening to the audio version, what we have here is a map of the United States, including Hawaii and Alaska, and it is color-coded from white to very, very dark purple based on how far you have to drive to a area that is known to be at a border scale rank one or two. So hmm. you can see here that New Jersey, Connecticut, and Rhode Island all have to drive about 200 miles to see stars, hmm. uh, whereas Maine, Utah, and Hawaii are already living in it. Hmm. Isn't that interesting that you can, you know, the, 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 uh, the, uh, a light pollution map, you know, creating a light pollution map, reminding people that, Hey, there's a whole universe up there and you might want to get in your car every now and then and contemplate it. I think that's wonderful. Who put that together? So this is a publication called Axios. They most, they do a bunch of different news site, news, uh, related content on the web. Beautiful. All right. Uh, speaking of light pollution, we're going over to Bosha. That's uh, an observatory, the oldest observatory in Indonesia. Uh, it's probably going to have to shut down due to light mm. pollution from the nearby city of Lembang. Uh, so they've already built a new uh, observatory about 1,800 kilometers away. But they're really hoping that the city can get its stuff together and start a sky glow reduction campaign and keep this, ob- this you know, historic building up and running. When for it was its intended bu- purpose. When was it built? Uh, 1921. 1921 has been... A 102-year-old observatory. 102-year-old obs- yeah. observatory is about to become a wash in light pollution. I mean, that's a tragedy, and we can fix it. And I think that, you know, um, I think the people there and, and along with the, the technology we have today can solve that problem. So let's get after it. What else you got, Scotty? Uh, so... Uh, 
the Tibetan Plateau, you know mm-hmm. it, the third pole, sure. uh, but incredibly biodiverse re- region. The Chinese Academy of Sciences has tracked that since 1991, light pollution in the region has more than tripled. Hmm. And um, simply because of development. That's just just development. urbanization of the region. That's it. Bad development. You know, I mean, I think that's the case everywhere. When they talk about light pollution going up at 10% a year, you're talking about, um, you know, the ability for LEDs to produce uh, way more light with much less electricity. And so people use more light um, in these remote areas. And that's, that's something we have to address. Foundation has to get to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is something we all have to build. Uh, but mm. look, looking at somewhere a little closer. So, uh, Mike, you might remember Leamington, Ontario. Sure. The uh, cannabis greenhouse, big old purple haze bomb. So ever since Leamington has passed their lighting bylaw requiring that greenhouse to have curtains, we're seeing mm-hmm. every town in southern Ontario look at their lighting bylaws and seeing if they've got one, seeing what they can do. I'm going to bring you two stories. Caledon, Ontario is in the process of addressing a light pollution bylaw. This is a general sky, low mit- sky glow mitigation measure. Uh, one member of city council has pushed it out and Public Works and the Legal Committee are working on drafting something right now. On mm. the other side, Brantford, Ontario, has a new nuisance bi- lighting bylaw. If you complain to your neighbors about your neighbor's lighting to the city, that neighbor will have to buy a shield for any fixture that is shining onto your property. I prefer the anonymous letter, personally, than getting the... Uh... <laughs> I mean, there is that. <laughs> than getting the government involved. I mean... Uh, you know, just pers- you know, there's a lot of ways to do this without, you know, getting people in trouble or finding out who everyone is and all that. And we can do that with polite, positive, anonymous letters to our neighbors where we say, hey, look, your light is really bright. It shines into my house. Do you mind dimming it, turning it off or changing it? Um, and it's very effective to do that, folks. Um, but you know what? I think we need to emphasize the incremental nature of this movement, Scott. So you you brought up a bunch of examples there where one city decided to do this and then someone else decided to capitalize on that and go to the next place. That's where we need to go with this thing, Scott Walker. It has to be incremental. This idea of transformational change. Well, transformational change is 30 years in the making with this movement. So we have to begin to restore darkness, shielding those greenhouses, not shutting down the greenhouse. By all means, let's have the nice tomatoes or food or cannabis, whatever they're growing in that thing. But let's shield it. Let's begin restoring darkness. Great work. What else you got? All right. So uh, there's a proposed nickel and copper mine in the upper peninsula of Minnesota that would mm-hmm. uh, have would uh, threaten the light, uh, the darkness around the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. So that's a state mm-hmm. wilderness, you know, canoeing, fishing, uh, real great space, I've been told. But uh the entire state is going to be, the state government is now reviewing light and noise pollution rules for that construction, for mines in general throughout the state. And is that going to lead to a reduction in light pollution from this mine? Uh, well, that's what, that's what people are hoping for. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Again, this is a rule we have to keep an eye on. It's just the process is just starting. But as we watch this, this is where the Lighting and Darkness Foundation is going to come in. We're going to we're we're going to try to intervene in these debates. We're going to try to insert knowledge into these debates. So that's exactly what's needed right now is people where we can get boots on the ground that know what they're talking about, that aren't looking to say, "Hey, we're not telling anybody you can't have a mine here." That's not where we're we're not interested in any of that. 
Um, but what we want to do is say, hey, there's a better way to do lighting. And we have lighting controls and fixtures and all these other things that we can do. And you can do it smart. And you can do it from the beginning right off the top before you even build. And that way, you're already there. And so that's where, that's where I think the foundation comes in, Scott. That's exactly what we're going to do is help those people there in that town or in that area. And the little bugs right. and bats yes. and everything else that lives in that area. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, well, I mean, fireflies, fireflies need some love, too. Yeah. Uh, Texas, the Commission on Environment Quality, is going to be strengthening environmental regulations near concrete plants. This is after a new plant got built in Gunter, Texas. That's a little outside Dallas. And they're looking at not just the sound from these plants, the dust, but also light pollution regs coming out of these plants right now. And the entire state, what's going to happen? We're going to see a change in how concrete is made in Texas. Well, I mean, if we can preserve night and restore darkness to those areas, I don't think it changes the concrete one bit. That's, and, and that would be my point with this movement. I mean, you know, it's very, guys, this is not complicated. It's not, it, this is not a, 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 a no concrete argument. What this is, is that we're talking about light pollution and abating it. So get on board. Don't fight it. Concrete plants out there. Don't fight this. Let's get on board. This is beautiful. You know, I mean, and, and, you know, we all need concrete. We all need cement. We drive on roads. We build houses. We got sidewalks. We walk on. We need the concrete. But we need you, concrete makers. We need you guys to reduce your light pollution. All right. Speaking of concrete, let's talk about the Arizona border. So mm. although there's about there's about 50 miles spread across five different spots already controlled by the state. Some of these are wildlife preserves. Some of these are a monument. But what these are is an area of the Arizona-Sonora border that will be home to 802 what they're calling stadium-style lights. Uh, and if these turn on, a report has determined that this would be devastating to wildlife in those regions. Again, this is a state wildlife preserve with stadium-style big honk and bright lights pointed into Mexico. And what's the goal of the lighting? What's it supposed to do? Oh, I think it's just, I mean, it, it's its a deterrent to any sort of goings-on along the border. Mm. And yeah. And, whether and that I, be people or, I guess, pumas, deer, antelope. Yeah. Monarch it, butterflies. What I, what I would say is that, you know, sometimes these, these human priorities that we have, um, you know, we have to step back from them and realize that. Do you really want to have a line from space that outlines the United States and Canada, you know, with light on our borders. Is that necessary? Does that actually, um, re you know, um, mitigate or reduce the things that you're trying to stop from happening? And then what is the damage? And I think that, you know, people in the past have not considered light pollution pollution. In this case, it is. And I think we need to look at it and, and decide whether we want to have prison yards along the border of the United States, prison yard lighting along the borders of the United States and Canada, outlining everything from space so people can see these sort of stuff. I think it's ridiculous. It needs to be looked at. It needs to be reconsidered what the purpose of the light is. All right, we're going to jump. Well, speaking of the purpose of lighting, we're going to jump over to southwest Florida. we got four counties, Sarasota, Manatee, <coughs> Pinellas, and Collier County, and People that own seaside property there have access to free, free new, new lighting. Amber, nice amber fixtures for sea turtle nesting and hatching season. Everyone loves the turtles. Together by these, gotta love the turtles. This is put together by the Sea Turtle Conservancy and the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. Hmm. 
And so the, the towns are actually giving away the dark sky fixtures that people would need to help contribute to this. Yeah. Any, any project under 25K, you fill out a form and you can get your amber lamps, you can get shielded fixtures, you can get what you need to respect the turtles and the seashore. Is that our first example that you've seen in the news of an incentive program to restore darkness and preserve night? Uh, recently, yeah. I mean, obviously, we have tons of awareness building campaigns during migration season for birds. But this is uh, this this program's been going on a few years now. But this is really the big one where we have Floridians having access to, you know, the lighting that really respects the needs of the wee baby turtles. I'd love to interview somebody on the Restoring Darkness show here about that, how they did yeah. that, which fixtures they chose, you know, what's available to the people on the end and the end, because I think incentives play a big part in this. Um, there's the carrot we and there's the stick. And so sometimes we need to say to people, you know, look at, uh, you need to turn your lights off. Why? Because I'm a bylaw officer for the town of whatever. And there's your thing. You need to get that turned off. You need to change that light to be shielded. And there's a, the incentive, which is where, hey, you know what? These use a lot less energy, and they produce um, uh, lower Kelvin temperature lighting. And it has a timer on it or something like that, whatever it is. And it allows for other living things to coexist with us in peace. I mean, it's such a wonderful thing. But I think we need to think about, think about incentive programs a lot. So good, good on Florida. All right, so we got a little research from the University of Sussex, which uh, mm. put glowworms in a maze and then subjected them to LED style, LED lighting. And what happens is the glowworms can't find each other, which means they cannot get mating. They, the light distracts them from finding. They use the glow as a mating display. They can't find each other, and we see a population reduction in glowworms. So you were literally blinding the glowworms um, in terms of their yeah, ability. You're, you're to killing find... the mood. You're killing the mood. <laughs> you're killing the mood. <laughs> Dim those lights down, buddy. It's too bright in here. Nobody wants to make love. <laughs> <sighs> ah, man, this issue's the best. It's so awesome. I just love oh, yeah. talking about this. What else you got in the news there, Scott? All right, so. Jumping out, still in the UK, we're going to jump over the University of Exeter, as, and they've mm -hmm. found that seaside light pollution is confusing the coastal woodlouse, which is this sort of crustacean uh, that can change color to avoid predators, and the amount of brightness is messing with how they change color, and it's just making them a target for, you know, your, your coastal birds and your larger fish that snatch them up. What a tragedy. I mean, we think about, you know, when, when people... Um, you know, talk about don't buy a dog, adopt a dog or whatever. You have these things out there. You don't want to, you know, go to the local pound. Why are we allowing these? What are they called? Coast, coastal wood lice. The coastal wood lice to be picked off like that by the birds. Oh, we don't care about the coastal wood lice. Well, maybe there's a lot of reasons to care about them. And so these are ecosystems. And, you know, how much more beautiful? Like you're talking, this is the one problem I have with it. It's like, why do you want to push all your light out? onto the ocean and onto the, onto the beach and all these different places. Like, isn't that a waste? Do you really need it? You know? And, and so I really, I really, I really hope that as we restore darkness and this found the work, the foundation is going to do, I really hope we can um, eliminate that kind of thing. That's something I want to, 
I want, and I want people to want to do it. That's the other thing. Like, can we convince them and persuade them? They care about right. the wood lice, so, Scott Walker. Some, yeah, like uh, speaking about something uh, a little, a lot bigger and a little closer to home. The Quinney College for Natural Resources in Utah has found that mule deer prefer to cross roads at their darkest points, which mm. means they are more likely to be struck blind by headlights and then struck by the car behind those headlights. And we've got a call from the uh, State University of Utah to even up, dim, and shield the highway lighting so that, you know, deer can get by on their own. You know, deer and headlights, um, you know, aren't we all? I mean, if we looked at ourselves personally, you know, all this light pollution, is it affecting us? Like, we look at it as always, oh, the mule deer, the uh, sea lice, whatever the heck you were talking about. They change colors. It doesn't affect us. Maybe we're like deer in the headlights now, the fact that all this light pollution. And how does it affect us? Does it have anything to do with the problems in our society? I think it does. And that's why we need to restore darkness. All right. And now we're going to talk about car collisions among humans. So we've got mm. some great data from the University of Leeds in the UK. And so they've been able to take crash data on the city's highways from before they switched. Uh, this is a switch from low pressure sodium to quartz metal halide. So eight years before, eight years during, and currently eight years after under the new lighting. And we found that the brighter bluer lighting you get from the metal halide is not notably changing crash statistics over the hmm. course of this whole thing. So, so and just for, for those that are not lighting people listening to this, um, metal halide is a pre-LED technology. But it produces high color rendering, and it's white color. So it's white in color. So it produces a 4,000K or 5,000K. I can't remember exactly which one, but it produces a higher whiteness type of light at a very high color rendering index. And low-pressure sodium is a very orange-colored light that has a very low color rendering index. And so the natural instinct for humans is to believe that, hey, it's whiter light, I can see better. But what we know is true is that is that that axiomatic presupposition is not necessarily true and more investigation is needed. And this study where you're literally switching from a orange colored light bulb, and that means pumpkin orange, folks, you're switching from orange color at a color rendering of 22% to a white colored light source at a color rendering of 70 or 80%. So much better when humans look at it to say, I prefer that light source. It doesn't mean that you can see better. Isn't that interesting, Scott Walker? Wow. Yeah. And, that, and that's the case. And it's interesting to see that happen. And we'll see what happens when Leeds switches all 80,000 of their lamps to LED in 10 years and what that does to those numbers. I don't... Hmm. We'll, well we will see. Uh, they're going to be... If they're metal halide now or if they haven't been switched already... Um, it's coming, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're, we've also got some findings from the University of Wisconsin School of Medic Medicine and Public Health finding that pancreatic cancer cells disrupt the circadian clock. So normally when we talk about this, and this will come up in the future, I'm sure, we talk about how circadian disruptions lead to cancer cells forming and growing. And this is actually working the other way around, that you develop pancreatic cancer, it changes your circadian clock, then that that change allows the accelerated growth of those cancer cells. 
Isn't that interesting about the liver, eh? So the liver or the pancreas, which is attached pancreas to Pancreas is not a liver. But it's close to your liver. It's interesting how, like, how little we know about how the human being works. You know, that's just humbling. Because shouldn't they already know that? No, they don't. They're discovering it now. And so we have these organs in our bodies that are digesting food and they are affected by the light and the darkness in which we receive. And they create our effect, according to this article. It creates whether or not we're able to handle the day-night cycle. And it seems like pancreatic cancer is a, is a circadian disruptor. That's basically what the article says, right? Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. That's great. Wow. And it All accelerates right, well, the growth of Speaking of, of the other... Circadian disruption caused by the pancreas after it's cancerated or has cancer or whatever actually accelerates the rate of tumor growth. Wow. It's incredible. And speaking of the inverse, uh, we've got a bunch of urologists in the UK working with a hospital in Walton to switch their uh, intensive care unit over to a circadian-friendly lighting solution, especially in the recovery rooms, and we are seeing recovery times come down in those rooms. And what does that mean when they, when they say that? Does it mean bright lights during the day and then, and then warming and dimming at sunset and then darkness and then back? What does it all mean, Scott? Yeah, so we're talking about a follow the sun sort of solution where you start out pretty dim in the morning on the warmer side. You peak up to very bright, very white to blue light around lunch and after. And that comes right back down towards sunset. You know, what I've noticed about hospitals is they could also, and we've talked about it on this show before, is the sound. There's too much beeping and bopping going on in hospitals, and people are trying to run, beep, boop. I mean, you know, I've had uh, loved ones in the hospital, and I've had to bring them Bose Quiet Comfort headphones so they could, they could actually sleep because there's so much beeping and bopping and bing, 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 bomb, bomb, bomb. And the darkness, it, it, like, listen, the sound and the darkness are almost one and the same. I mean, this is not the Restoring Silence podcast, but it could be Scott Walker. And so that tranquility, which well, is one of one of our great guests talked about, is restoring tranquility. Yes, yes, please, as soon as possible. I bet you that helps human health. <laughs> and, and the health well, of the uh, wildlife, which is the outdoor light pollution. Give them back their tranquility, Scott Walker. Well, this is an absolute tangent, but there's uh, this Japanese-American woman. She's a uh, musician and a composer, and she spent uh, about a year in a hospital dealing with cancer. And she's actually now partnered with a medical supply company company to redesign all of the beep, the beeps and boops of, on one brand, mm. specifically to bring the registers into areas that you know you you can still hear, but are more comfortable for the occupants. Well, I don't think the beeps and boops are for the patients. So no, maybe, and yeah, the nurses. Well, what they what they're finding is that nurses are distracted by it just as much. That you get, uh, you get, you get mm. an alarm beep, and it gets lost in the regular beeps. Yes, like I couldn't agree more. Like you're sitting there in a room, you're trying to say beep, beep. Your heart, your heart rate's being beeped on the side and there's a light coming out of it and then there's a light over here shining over here from this machine and it's very hard to recover i mean i i, I you know and so it's light pollution sound pollution it's happening in the recovery room so we got rid of the light pollution and guess what people recovered faster let's get rid of the sound pollution too i mean i'm not gonna I'm, you know we're not gonna start the you know the the sound and silence foundation right now but it's almost the same thing scott walker <laughs> yeah right. well that is what we're gonna that is three weeks worth, of new, weeks worth of news. We'll come back next time, I think. Yeah, so folks, uh, you know, on normal occasions, 
you know, when Scott Walker and I get together, it's just going to be the last seven days. But this time, where it's the first time of the show. But you know what I want you to do right now? This work. Scott Walker is a professional. He reads all the darkness news all week long. And he, pre- he prepares a report. And he puts it out on the Lighting Industry News Brief, Darkness News, and he puts it on the website. It's all there for you, folks. You go to RestoringDarkness.com, and you can check out the news. You can check out episodes of the show. But you know what else you can do? You can click the Donate button. That's right. You can support this great work. we got Scott Griffin in the studio here, who spent a lot of time creating all of this. we got Scott Walker doing all the news. And we got the board of directors that um, are volunteering their time to... Um, there we go. I just got to move over out of the logo there. I'm getting it's new. I'm new to this, folks. So just give me a bit of time um, to to move around and then whole new show format. But we're starting a new show and we're serious about this. We're not taking any prisoners. We are going to work towards this with education, with research, with awareness creation, and with support to our friends on the ground in various communities that need help, that need that need that need technical support, maybe even legal support. We don't know yet. We're going to try our best. But you know what it all relies upon? It relies upon you. All those folks out there that are sick of the, this now. They're sick of the, the, the excuses. This is a solvable environmental problem, folks. And we can fix it. So I want you to go to RestoringDarkness.com right now. Click that Donate button. Why not become a monthly donor? Why not? What else are you giving to? You know? And, and, and this issue is, is something that, you know... Um, is dear to all our hearts, seeing the stars, restoring darkness, preserving night, helping the wildlife. Um, the, you heard about all the things that Scott Walker was talking about in his amazing reporting that he did. Three weeks of news right there. What a, what a great report Scott put together. The team's here, guys. We're serious about this. So go to restoringdarkness.com. Click the donate button right now. 